as we continue this season of reading through Scripture daily as a church, uh, our text today that we're going to look at in uh, the message, it comes from this coming week's message, uh, this coming week's Scriptures. Usually what we're doing is we're pulling Scripture from somewhere of our, somewhere of our, sometime of our reading between now and the end of the week. That's what we're going to preach on, something in there. And our reading is actually this coming, this coming Wednesday, our reading is going to be 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, and that is actually uh, the section of Scripture we're going to dive in today. And it's all about a gift wrapped in love. Who doesn't like a gift wrapped in love, right? Am I right? You guys all love gifts wrapped in love. I, and I like to give gifts. I really do. I love to give people gifts the gifts that they are desiring or longing for. Uh, Ingrid would tell you that if she, she just has to mention something, oh, it'd be really nice to have this, or if I, I'm really looking for something like that, all she has to do is say it once, and it's stored in there, and then somehow it shows up a little later, going, here it is, you know, the thing you're looking for, without, she's not asking for it, she's just mentioning that she wants it. I love giving gifts like that. It's a pleasure to be able to do things like that. What I'm not always great at is the presentation, right? I'm not always good at wrapping it in a nice bow and giving it in, you know, in that special moment. There's no candlelight. There's no nothing. It's just, you know, I got something for you, right? But sometimes there's a huge difference between how you give something, right? You can, you can have something that's intentionally bought, but then when you go, hey, here you go, you know, <laughs> It's like really nice that you got something, but you're like, oh, that's nice. You know, you just, you threw it at me, right? But an intentionally wrapped gift at an intentional moment of giving can mean all the difference in the world. Imagine a marriage proposal that's not done intentionally, right? You're walking by and you have a ring box and you kind of throw them at them. And you're like, I, I figure we should probably do this, right? You know? What a horrible wedding it's like, like a proposal, right? It's probably not what we should do. And if you did do that, shame on you. But it's okay because, you, you, you know, you, you wanted to make that commitment. That's good. But that's probably not the best way is to throw your, your engagement ring at somebody and say, yeah, we should probably do this, right? Maybe getting down on one knee and saying, you know, will you marry me is, is probably a better way of doing that. Or if you have kids... It's probably not the best idea to just like, you know, wrap, get gifts and don't wrap them. Just leave them around the house hoping that they find them, right? And go, oh, yeah, yeah, that was for you. It's probably not the best way to celebrate them on their birthday, make them feel that they're loved, that you care for them, that you, that you want the best from them. It's probably not the best way to do it, is it? Right? And you can notice just from doing that, you're like, yeah, no, I wouldn't want a gift like that. I wouldn't want somebody to honor me by just saying, oh yeah, I think I got you something. It's somewhere in the house. I can't remember where I put it. You'll have to go find it. It's not the way we want to receive gifts. It doesn't feel good, right? The gift is nice, but we, there's something hollow in it, isn't there? Because you're like, you, you, you didn't have, you didn't feel like you could do something about, you didn't like, you didn't want to sit me down and, and share why you wanted to give this to me or why you thought of me in this moment. You, nothing? You just there? It's amazing how much there's appreciation when we're intentional about how we give. Sometimes how we give is just as important as what we give, isn't it? It's just as important. 
And so matter, no matter if you are suave in how you give gifts, maybe you're here today and you're like, that's never me. Yeah, that's never me. I know how to give gifts. I know how to wrap the bow and, uh, you know, like, you know how to wrap presents and make sure all the creases are really nice and you can't even see the tape at all. Maybe you're that type of person and great for you. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, whether you're like that or whether you could, you know, use a little help in being intentional, we want to be able to grow in what that looks like. We want to be able to speak to how we give gifts. And when we're talking about this, I, I know we're, we're talking about that in terms of relationships and how we get along like this. But that's exactly the type of situation that the Apostle Paul... Hold on a second, let me fix this. No, it doesn't feel like it wants to stay put today. Nope. Okay. Check. Is that a little better? Yeah, that's a little better. This is the situation that Paul finds himself in in the church in Corinth, okay, regarding how they're acting towards each other. They are eager to move forward with the gifts that God has for the church and for each other. They're eager to do that, but they're lacking in love in how they want to operate in the gifts that God has given them both naturally and supernaturally. How they're interacting with each other does not reflect the love of Christ that they're supposed to have. So what I want us to do for our community here is just to prayerfully consider and work through this portion of text to see how it applies to us in, the, in our ter- time today. Right? First for them and then for us. Let's, let's, let's look at it. Starting, we're going to read through basically Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 by the time we're done the message today. Starting in in verses 1 to 3. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. What a tricky little passage. What is he actually saying there? In the Corinthian context, the church is a mix of Jew and Gentile. And it's mostly Gentile, mostly people that aren't of Jewish faith. They have no history in Torah, in synagogue, in anything like that. They are, they're probably mostly like us, unless there's some people of Jewish background here, where we're, we're coming to it late in the game, right? We, we are not birthed in, we were not living this out as a culture, our whole identities and tied in this. We're coming into following our faith, you know, a little later. And And so how they were interpreting and understanding all these things and and buying into their faith, it was a whole jumble of things because they used to worship idols. And like Paul was saying, you worship up idols that were mute, wooden statues, carved stone statues. They didn't talk to you. They didn't say anything to you. They didn't do anything. You were following them, and yet you were still led astray even by mute, dumb things. But when it comes to the Spirit of God, When it comes to worshiping God, no one 
No one who's actually following God is ever going to say that Jesus be damned. Jesus is going to hell. Jesus doesn't matter at all. No one actually following God would ever say that. And in the same hand, nobody who is not following God is going to declare that Jesus is Lord of my life, that I bow my my knee only to Jesus. Because outside of being filled with the Spirit of Christ, No one's going to declare that. No one can declare that God is Lord like that. So he's starting off telling them that, listen, in the power structure of what God is and who God is, God reigns supreme. And having Christ in you makes all the difference as to the authority that you speak from. And quieting fears within them because they were like, what is going on in this culture around us? There's gifts that are being displayed in the church. It all seems fantastical. And they're trying to figure out what is God in it all and what is not God. All right. There's people speaking in other languages and they're like, what is going on? What do we know to be God and what do we not know to be God in this? And they're trying to sort it all out. And he's trying to just settle them down and to understand both the work of the Spirit and the work of love. And he's trying to help them to understand that unlike the dead idols that they used to serve, living, the living God is actively engaged in the life of his followers, his children. He's actually, the, that's the only way for there to be life in the church, is that we die to self and we follow Christ through the Spirit that actually brings life just like we did with the baptisms, die to self and rise in Christ. And more than just life, the Spirit brings gifts. And the Spirit doesn't give like sometimes I may give, where I bought something and I, I don't quite wrap it up and I don't make it look nice and pretty, but I just, I just hand it. The Spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit is intentional. The Spirit is personal. And the Spirit gives to the people that he wants to give exactly what he wants to give them for his purpose, for God's purpose, to edify the church and to build, uh, or to edify God and to build the church. As we continue on, this is what he says. After setting that first part, he says this. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are a variety of service, uh, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now what he's doing here is lacing both in the idea of the Trinity, of God being three in one, but there being a connectedness in the whole purpose of God in all of them. He teaches that the Holy Spirit gives gifts. The Lord Jesus is calling us and giving us purpose. And it is the activities of God that all are active in. And this is not three gods, but one God, three in one. And it's the unity of God, three persons in one, the perfection of unity. And that's the basis for which we have our unity with each other and God. And he continues, he says this, he says, For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and the other the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, and to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, 
and to another the working of miracles, and to another prophecy, and another the ability to distinguish between spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The Holy Spirit gives gifts. And again, not randomly, not haphazardly, not flippantly. Rather, the Holy Spirit gives out of his will. And the gifts that God's given you or will give you, they are intentional. They are personal. And they are to perfect your service to the Lord and his activities. And not just you, but all whom receive the gift in the same manner in the unity of Christ. Not all of us are going to have the same gifts, right? Each one is given a different gift, but we're given the, same, the different gifts by the same Spirit. As he continues, he says, For just as, there, as, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, though many, sorry, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. Again, Paul's dealing with a church that is trying to, is kind of breaking into a little bit of, a little bit of factions and groups and things like that because of the way the gifts are starting to operate in the church. They're starting to see people differently based off of the gifts that God has given them and how they are operating their gifts. He's trying to bring them back to the unity of the body, how we can't all be hands. If we, our body was made up of just hands, one, it looks ridiculous. Two, you can't actually do and function as a human, and it's not who you really are as a body. Right? You are more than just a hand. And he's trying to bring that into the church and say, listen, no matter the gift, no matter the uniqueness, no matter the talents you have, the voice you have, no matter the position you serve in in the community, we are all one body in Christ, as Christ as our head. And we need to remember that there is unity in that, similarly to how the Holy Spirit, the Father, and the Son are unified. And so Paul begins in that, and he goes on for the rest of the chapter uh, to make a case for how the uniqueness and the allure of these individual gifts uh, and the natural talents and stuff like that, um, he, he talks about how the allure is for us to want to see ourselves in our uniqueness and to hold ourselves in that uniqueness and to separate ourselves because of that uniqueness. But the goal is actually, and God's intention in it all, was for unity. The fact that we can't have it all. None of us can have all of the gifts or all of the talents or all of the abilities within us. That we actually need the wholeness of everybody in the community and the body of Christ to be the body of Christ as he desires. Since we are in Christ, and in the spirit, there's no room for distinction and hierarchy and factions or tribes. We are all an interdependent part of the body of Christ. 
says in verses 24 to 31, he says, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. And there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Just think of that. That should be our focus and our attitude as a church, that when one suffers, we all suffer. We all share in the pain of what we go through as a community. How hard is that? One, that takes us knowing each other, that takes us sharing our, our weaknesses and our strengths. It takes us living in community so that when one suffers, we feel the grief and the pain whether that's a lost loved one or whether that's trials that somebody's going through, do we feel the pain of one because we are all together in it? And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Again, it takes us knowing and being a community to know and to honor and to celebrate when that happens. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? And when he's saying this, he's saying this knowing that the answer is going to be what? No. So he's asking these rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Are all, do all do miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. God's purpose for giving as he has is to create a reliance, care, and a shared life together as our interdependence models the interpersonal life of the Trinity. How have we distorted that as the large church, the corporate church across the world? How have we distorted that? The how we're supposed to live is interdependently to model the life of the Trinity. How God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit live and work in unison. That's the model of how we're supposed to live. Man, that's tough. When we look around, when I look around at maybe the division that I may have caused, the interdependent or the, the independence that maybe I've caused or lived out of instead of interdependence, instead of relying on others and holding each other like that. In this moment, from my heart, it's this. It's just that, like to say, Father, we repent of our role in causing disunity instead of unity, for causing independence instead of interdependence, being self-seeking rather than seeking the welfare of others through all that you have given us. God, we don't want to live like that here in Life Center Cornwall. We want to seek the welfare of others. We want to be interdependent. We want to focus on you, having you as the head of our church and nothing else. Amen. 
So why do we do this? Why do we seek that independence versus interdependence? Why do we seek to distinguish ourselves from others and give space and say, I'm not like them, I'm like this. They're doing this and I'm not doing this. I'm like this and you know, I'm, I'm doing pretty good over there. They're not over there. Why do we seek that rather than to draw in? Why do we do that? Well, similarly to the church in Corinth, we're clasping for ourselves the things that are clearly God's. We're looking to have for ourselves the distinction and that for us, pride, for God, glory. We're looking to distinguish ourselves from others and lift ourselves up when others need to be lifted up instead. The church in Corinth was trying to elevate gifts above other gifts to have it at a certain level that if you had this gift, you were on the inn. And ironically, the gift that they were elevating was one of the lesser gifts. It was speaking in tongues. They were elevating speaking in tongues. Everybody needed to speak in tongues in the church in order to be in the in the in group of having what God had. And they were bound to make the most uh, sought after when it was when it's one of the ones that, that Paul would say is the least. It's great that we speak in tongues, but it's better for us to prophesy or to speak a word of encouragement, to lift somebody else up, to be able to teach rather than to speak in undiscernible languages. They were setting themselves up to be a part, to be separated or apart or more spiritual in some way. And it creates divisions and challenges that Paul writes to correct. Not everyone can have the same gift. Not everyone should, should have the same gift. That would create unity through conformity instead of unity through love. And Paul had worked this out in his own life. He had the struggle of this himself. See, he was raised as a Pharisee, right? And not only just as a Pharisee, but the right type of Pharisee, studying under the right Pharisee and in the right group. And not only was he in the right group of Pharisees, he was at the head of that group of Pharisees. But he lacked love. He lacked love. He knew the law and he, would wanted, to, he wanted to make sure the law was fulfilled, but not in love. There was no grace, only truth in how he lived that out to the extent that he persecuted. He chased and he killed those who saw a new life in Christ, which was just a different view than his perspective on the faith that he had been raised in. The faith that he had been raised in said there would be a Messiah that would save his people and the world. But in Christ, they did not recognize him as that savior. And so he pursued, he persecuted, but on the road to Damascus, in Christ, he found a love that crossed over the offense of persecution to reach even the worst of all sinners. He knew the law. He knew the rules of what it looks like to follow God. He knew the damage that his unchristlike desires had created. But on the day that he met Jesus, he learned about God's love for us. A love that would cover the offense of what Paul had done 
in the name of his religion. And Paul became a follower of not only the Torah, the law, and the ways of following God, but of Jesus. Now, if we were to look at Matthew 6, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. I know it feels like a little bit of a jump here. We're talking about gifts and the spirit and, and everything like that. But follow me on this. He talked about our father, which speaks about intimacy, about being able to go to God intimately and say, Father, Father, I need your help. Talked about the awe of God, that even though we can approach him intimately, he is still the God of all gods, the Lord Almighty sitting on his throne, that we approach him with the all that is due to the only perfect one. But it speaks also to the provision that we need. God, give us our daily bread. We need you, God. We need you to provide for us. But then it starts to get even more real. Forgive us as we forgive. It talks about the grace that we all need. The grace that we need for each other. This speaks to what Paul was lacking in his, his application of, of following the Bible, following the law. There was no grace. There was no forgiveness. There was no, there's no way for people to work forward in it. It was just, nope, you're done, it's over. Lead us not into temptation. See, each of us is so weak. We're so easily caught up in doing exactly what that line above it said, not giving room for forgiveness to others, not allowing the forgiveness of others to, to be set in our hearts that leads to that unity and that oneness as a church. Deliver us from evil, that it's a fight. It's warfare for us to turn to Jesus and live for him and live in the unity that he asks us to, to live in the love that we're supposed to have for each other versus allow enmity and strife, bickering and dissension to happen in the church. For thine is the kingdom, that we live in hope, that we live in hope that the things that can entangle us now won't entangle us tomorrow, that we'll be able to mature in our faith, that we'll be able to fulfill these things as we lean on our intimate Father in, in awe of him for his provision. See, Jesus, in that, he taught us and showed us to love others well, that we need a place with God to wrestle out how hard it is to love others well. That right in the Lord's Prayer, there's room for us to look and see, man, when I'm having trouble loving others well, Jesus has given me an example of how to approach God and say, God, I'm having trouble forgiving. I'm having trouble working through this. God, give me the provision I need to, to forgive well because I'm finding it hard to love well because I'm having trouble forgiving. If we cultivate a place of prayer with God like that, if we 
are doing that, we deepen a place of trust with him. We deepen a place of trust with him that says, God, I trust you in the midst of the uncertainty of humanity, that you're not changing in the midst of it all. And that allows us to grow in our unity with God and others because we can see each other through a different lens. And if we don't cultivate this place of prayer where we can bring these things to God and work them out, what do we do? We often harm the foundations of trust with others because if we're not working it out with God, then, then we're taking it out on others. We're, we're, we're causing strife with others. We're like the old Paul instead of the new Paul. We lack that love that Christ says is most important. Paul would see us live out what Jesus gives us and that we now call the golden rule. In Matthew 7, he says, so for whatever you wish, so for, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. And in Mark 12, he would, he would give us further explanation of this where he says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Our love for God is everything and it's exclusively his alone. And from being loved by God, we extend love to others. And just like today, the church in Corinth was struggling to give and receive love, in that way. And to help the church give, uh, the church in Corinth give gifts of love to one another, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul would write what we have as, as 1 Corinthians 13, where it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Again, they were elevating tongues to be near the top to be one of the most esteemed things that as a culture in the church they were, they were using. He's saying, if I speak in tongues but I don't have love, I'm just a noisy gong, clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains but I have not love, I am nothing. And if I give away all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. We can have so many different motivations for why we try to do things and even operate in gifts that God gives us. We can have so many different motivations, but if love isn't the motivation, then how we use those gifts and talents by God results in nothing. Because love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, and it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now, we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall, see, I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The gifts that Paul had spoken about in the verse, the chapter before, and then would continue on in the chapter after about church organization and how services should flow and things like that, while they're essential for us and supernaturally do accomplish God's will for us in the church, they become worthless. They become a distraction. They become potentially a hindrance when love is not at the center of who we are individually and as a community. And in the presence of Jesus, all, uh, all need of these gifts will cease. When we are face to face with Jesus, there'll be no need for tongues and interpretation or healing or gifts of knowledge or gifts of teaching. There'll be no need of any of those things because we will be in the presence of Jesus who fulfills that all perfectly for us. But there will be love. But there will be love. Our natural gifts and abilities are no different. They only find their fullness. And when they're used in the love that we receive from God and pour out on others. Paul calls it a sign of maturity of growing up as a follower of Jesus when we set aside the petty and fully embrace faith, hope, and love. So to give, an, give one another gifts of love, we trust God is love. And this is your intentional part. If you're looking at how to love intentionally, this is it. We trust that God is love. Maybe today you don't feel like God is love. Maybe today your experiences with church or your experiences with people in church doesn't make you feel like God is love. But we have to believe and trust that he is love. Secondly, we need to abide in God's love. Not only we believe he is love, but we have to allow ourselves to be centered in that love. Because if we don't, what are we basing ourselves in? What are we centering ourselves in as a community and as individuals? If we're not saying, God, I need to be in your love today. I need to be surrounded by your love. I need your love flowing through me. So when I speak to my spouse or to my children, or to an annoying coworker, when I'm in all these scenarios, where I'm centered from is in your love. Where I'm speaking out of is in your love. I need to find myself in your love. I need to abide in your love. And third, we need to grow up and give gifts of love the greatest to others. Sometimes we just need to grow up and we need to mature. We need to go from being adolescent, junior high. I have a couple of junior high kids and their emotions go from here to here to here to here. It's like a ping pong match of emotions for them, right? That's just natural, right? That's natural. 
right? They, they, they can't really control it, right? They, they can't. They just, it's hormones. But in our walk of faith, right? In our walk of faith, sometimes we get into that junior high, adolescent stage of our faith where our, our spiritual, emotional levels just are all over the map. And God's saying, hey, hey, keep growing in me. Keep abiding in me. Keep trusting in me so that the emotional boomerangs that are happening in our lives and the, the back and forth and how we see things and how we're living things out, they can just calm down and we can find ourselves centered in his love. In the Old Testament, we'd see that as, as, as prophets and, and writers in the Old Testament saying that they found themselves in, in the hand of God. They found themselves covered by the wing of God. They found themselves in the cleft of the rock with the storms all around them, but there was calmness. When we find ourselves centered, abiding in his love, trusting in his love, then how we walk out is much more like Jesus desires of us. As a human, Jesus trusted his father. He abided in the love of his father and he grew in the wisdom of stature and giving gifts of love to others. He is and was and loved others the way the world is hungering for today. Jesus perfectly walked in love not by sin or diminishing the law or prophets, but by fulfilling them in love. And Paul knew what it was to love, again, to love the law and not people, to use the inferior methods of power and persecution to seek to conform others. And when we choose to do the same, when we try to conform others by rules and regulations versus love, we find we hurt people more than we help them. So it's always grace and truth combined. But Paul, when meeting Jesus, he learned there was a better way. Is it any wonder why when writing to help the church struggling to give gifts of love to each other, he addresses their core need not to practice the gifts of the Spirit, not to, to use them more in the church to build up what it looks like, not the supernatural side of God, but love. And, and really, that is a supernatural gift for us because it's a love that doesn't abide in me on my own. It's a love that doesn't abide in you on your own, but to live first in the love of God before everything else. As a church today, our first focus is on loving well. Loving God and loving others as Christ has commanded and lived out himself. So this morning I ask you, how have you received God's love? How do you hold the idea of love? Do you trust that God is love? Do you abide in his love? Do you live out of his love? Maybe there's pride in you that may cause you to reject that love. You may not think of it as quite rejecting that love, but you're elevating yourself, or you found yourself elevating yourself to distinguish yourself between others about how you're using your gifts or your abilities or how you're following God versus others and how they're following God. And pride has come in 
made others unlovable. Or maybe you see yourself as unlovable. You see what you've done in the past or how you failed to continue. And you, do, you go like, man, Pastor Jeff, you talk about maturity and sometimes they don't feel that mature and I'm, I'm failing and you see yourself as unlovable. But Jesus wants you to know today that he saw it in Paul. He saw a persecutor of the church and said, I love you, come follow me. And he'll say the same to you today. It doesn't matter what you've done or are doing, his call is for you to embrace his love know that he loves you trust that he loves you maybe today you've seen the love of christ's weakness you see the idea of love and you think of it more as a mushy kind of love or or whatever an affectionate kind of love versus a love that bears all things believes all things a love that is patient and kind Write what love looks like in your heart so that it's not weakness but it's a strength we absolutely long to see the gifts of the spirit active and effective in our community but not at the expense of love we don't want to elevate gifts so that love takes a back seat we want both but love, love is what will continue. Everything else will cease. Today, as we close, we're going to close a little different. We're going to have a song to end it. But uh, I want to invite you, if, you've, if you need to em embrace the love that God has for you, there's either been issues in your life and right, how you follow Jesus and love is a hard thing to wrap your head around. It's hard to receive love or give love or, or you have any issues around that. I'd love for you to be able to come forward to receive prayer. That God would be able to just to, to minister to your heart about what it looks like to either give love, receive love, trust his love, trust a community. I'd love for you to receive prayer for that today. And I'd also love for you to receive prayer if you desire for the Holy Spirit to gift you with a spiritual gift. Maybe you've been walking in your faith and you haven't recognized or seen or been prayed for to receive a gift of the Spirit. We would love for you to walk forward in that. Because God has both for us, His love and the gifts that He has. And we can walk this out appropriately. We can walk this out in unity, seeking the welfare of each other, seeking to lift each other up, feeling the hurt and suffering of one and rejoicing with the one who is honored. We can live this out well as we center ourselves in the love of Christ. But I would invite you to come forward and uh, you can do so as the song starts singing. We're gonna have our prayer team up on on this side of the hot tub to be able to pray with you just so that people coming in and out there can, can walk through there well. But I invite you uh, to take, take time this morning to allow either the love of Christ to, to reach you or if you, you again want to receive prayer for um, the gifts of the Spirit that you would come forward for that. Because God wants us as a community to live this out well.
He wants us to embrace it and to seek what he has for us, both love and gifts for his purposes, his kingdom, and our unity and our well-being here. So I invite you today, and if, if you've never received Christ as your savior, if you've never decided to take that step of faith and walk with him, I want you to know today that today is for you too. That when he says he loves, it's not just those who regularly attend, it's for anybody that hears God calling you and saying, I love you and I want you to come follow me. I want you to be a part of my family. Today can be the day that you join. You join Jesus, his family, and start to follow him. So you can come forward for prayer as well over here and we'd love to pray for you. Give you a Bible if you don't have one and walk with you as you start following Jesus. Let's pray. God, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are. We thank you that first and foremost that you love us. That when we were dead in our sin, when we were enemies of you, you loved us and you sought us out so that we could be a part of your family. So God, we want to embrace your love for us. We want to trust that you love us. We want to abide in your love and we want to live out of your love. And God, we are also a church that's going to be open to how your Holy Spirit wants to move and how the gifts of the Spirit are actually designed for our unity, for our interdependence, for us to rely on each other as you lead us as a community. Jesus, you are the head of the church. No human is the head of the church, but you alone, Christ. And so God, we just wanna live this out as you've called us to. We surrender it to you and we walk in it. And so I pray, God, as we sing this last long, if there's anyone who needs to come, God, they would respond to your call for love and your call for purpose for gifting in their life. We pray this in your name.